You just heard Celtic Frost's Domain of Decay from the Monotheist record. This is the Patreon August 2019 special episode, just for you Patreon, Patreon subscribers. Yeah, and you are Mark. I am Mark, and, and you are Jason. Yes, indeed we are. And uh, why are we playing Celtic Frost uh, off of Monotheist as a little opening cut? This is a because this is a bizarro podcast that we came up or an idea we came up with. I was gonna say, I think you came up with it first, and then we I did off of it. And then I just said something random, and then you're like, "Hey, let's do a show about." <laughs> I can tag on the stuff. It was basically stuff like bands we kind of gave up on, or they they changed direction so much that they we lost interest, or just their output wasn't that great. Yeah. And then we, you know, 15 years later, go back and listen to a newer record. And like, that's weird. Yeah, that, that's actually <laughs> that's not so bad. Yeah, it's not so bad. It's surprising. And we, um, it's it's funny. Uh, Mark kind of had originally talked to me about a band he'll he'll talk about a little bit later in the show. Um, as hey, have you heard that these guys are doing this? And I was like, no, I haven't heard anything <laughs> since the the last record we listened to. I'm being purposely obscure. Yeah. But um, so you know, I kind of started to think, well, what are some some bands that like have recently done that for me? Um, the, we'll talk about one in, in a moment, which is Queensrÿche, um, but. When I surveyed people on Twitter, uh, I was just kind of curious what other people sort of thought. Probably the most frequent one that was mentioned of maybe the the Hall of Fame all-time kind of comeback after sort of either disappearing off the face of the earth or just kind of putting out some maybe semi-inconsistent stuff. I mean, I think we look at Vanity Nemesis as a lot better than it was maybe when it was released. It didn't really get much. I don't I don't think it had U.S. distribution. Yeah, to be honest. so it just kind of like quietly went. But, um, you know, following the wake of Cold Lake, it probably wasn't as maybe strong pulling people away from like the, the sting of Cold Lake maybe. I think people gave up completely after Cole Lake, and they didn't even care that they did another record. That there was something else. Like how could on. you know? How could they have pulled out of that? Yeah. Well, and did I, I never really listened to it much, except on some samplers. But was it uh, was it a Polyan Sun, a Polyan Sun, or something like that? That Tom G. Oh, that happened after Vanity Nemesis. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, so he was doing that. But it was more of an industrial thing. Okay. Too but more or less, Celtic Frost was kind of like not even talked about as like a functional band through most of the late '90s and early 2000s. Correct. I mean, I know. No, it was everybody just them. talked about the first couple records. Yeah, it was just they were kind of like just this. It was like Bathory. Was yeah, like this influential band done something. Yeah, and then I remember buying. Um, terrorizer and i think terrorizer gave this like a, a 10 out of 10 and yeah it was a really unexpected comeback record people were kind of like whoa this came out of nowhere and so monotheist i think was the maybe in the the pantheon of extreme metal one of the, the ultimate sort of out of nowhere holy shit kind of moments yeah you know? i mean we've had you know we've talked about it with you know even like a band like paradise lost where they've returned back to some of that heavier sound we're, you and I are both pretty high on that mid-period era where some people kind of lost the band after Draconian or One Second. Sure. Um, but, you know, it's in similar ways, they kind of returned back to form. But they didn't go away. And I think that's what's interesting about Celtic Frost. They just sort of disappeared. Yeah. Um, and then all of a sudden, they just... I well, don't know how long they spent on this record, but shit. It, it, I it think worked. it was just a couple years. Okay. But I think it was pretty... It was pretty incognito too. Mm-hmm. I don't remember hearing shit about it until like it was out. Yeah, it's like uh, what? And what? I know Chris talked about the role like v- Vicentura mm-hmm. played in helping kind of bring some of the vision together. And um, yeah, it's just a really great record. <laughs> 
So we thought that would be a good way to kick off the patron show. We're not going to talk much about Celtic Frost. If you would like to hear about Celtic Frost, we did two-parter on him. So. We did. And yeah. this is, um, I would almost consider that to be like really the first Triptychon record. Yeah. yeah Sonically, it way, has way more in common with Triptychon than it does with what Frost was doing before. But. Well, you even hear it on that opening riff of Demand of Decay. It's almost like just so bottom it just yeah Yeah. it's it's almost more monotonous than anything they've ever done but it has this like industrial decaying i mean that's in the song title like kind of vibe to it you know very dystopian sounding so yeah so basically what we did is he and i both kind of talked about you know maybe picking up two bands that that you know in recent times or or throughout the the past you know decade or so have have kind of worked this arc and some of the bands like um that were mentioned people people mentioned bands like testament to me exodus um even i think death angel got mentioned because they sort of fell off the face of the earth after act three and then they kind of showed up in the 2000s with decent stuff's good rash records the problem with kind of forgettable yeah with a lot of the that stuff is that i don't it didn't do anything for me like exodus was they're they're a great live or whatever but i don't really care about their new material even now like they I, i i definitely see a i don't have much to say about it same here. To do a whole episode, like yeah. I know they did. I didn't really care for the the era with that. Who's the bald dude that was singing? I kind of know. I don't. I don't for remember. him, like shovel head machine or whatever that that record was. Like yeah. it. It's there's some good riffs and stuff on it, but I just don't really. I'm I'm kind of like classic is yeah. all I really care oh, about sure. with those guys. Sure. Yeah. I mean, Steve Souza is he still singing with them now? Zetro. Zetro. Yeah. Souza. Yeah. Yep. After he, he we saw him open for. Uh, King Diamond. King Diamond. Yep. Yeah. They were great, but yeah, I just don't have it. Like, and same with Death Angel. Like, I heard some of the new records, and they they sound cool, but yeah, I've I've never been a huge Death Angel. Yeah. Guy. I like uh, the first couple. You know, Ultra Violence is, is pretty incredible, but but again, it's like you know, um, Testament got mentioned, and Mark and I kind of talked about that. Mark uh, is a pretty big fan of Souls at Zero, and I don't mind. Um, uh, it's gonna escape me. I should Souls Black. Stuff. Souls, Souls of Black. Wait, so Souls of Zero is a, a, a band. <laughs> and a Neurosis album. And a Neurosis album, yeah. But, um, you know, I don't know if Testament fell off as long. I mean, it, and it was I think The like, Ritual was the only one that was kind of a yeah, stinker. Yeah, and The Ritual, like, it, it's got a, a couple of okay songs. Did they have so. Dogface God on it? No, that was Low. Okay, and, so uh, Low is the one where I fell off with them because they started doing death metal vocals, which I thought was stupid. And I, I kind of got <laughs> on with Low a little bit because that was like the first New Testament. It was 94. That was yeah. like peak headbangers ball, high school for me, you know, like freshman in high school and stuff like that. Um, and they had, you know, it wasn't all death metal. It was like just Dogface God and Low, but the rest of it was all pretty testimony. But um, yeah, and then they did Demonic, you know, which is, eh, it's okay, you know. Yeah, they're trying to find out what they are. But then the gathering was a, a pretty, uh, pretty awesome comeback. You know, yeah. Lombardo and DiGiorgio and all those guys kind of coming back, and uh, James Murphy was on mm-hmm. that as well. You know, and then obviously like formulation, uh, formation of Damnation was really like where the core band kind of came back together. Yeah, um, they started singing again and not fucking yeah, around. Yeah, and also bringing back um, uh, why can't I think? Alex Skolnick. Yeah, that was key. Skolnick, he, and I think uh, Skolnick had been gone for. Since uh, the ritual, he wasn't the. They brought back the original bass player, which I can't. Greg. Oh, Greg Christian. Greg Christian. Yeah. Okay. Christian was on. Um, he was on a couple. He was on low. Um, I'm pretty sure he was on low. I'll double check. I think he kind of left after low. Uh, I'm just 
Christians. He came back on a modern, one of the modern yeah, records. Christian, Christian Might have been Formation of Damnation. He came back for I a... I forgot James Murphy was on Low as well. So, Yeah, Low's kind of underrated. I, I, I don't mind that record. I think he probably, I think we talked about it in the Testament show we did. But that was the other thing. We've done an Exodus show. We've done a Testament show. So we were yeah. trying to look at some stuff that, you know, maybe kind of fit in or, or maybe bands that we wouldn't devote a whole episode to um, or didn't need to do a whole episode yeah. to. Um, and so that's kind of where we sort of fell on things and a couple bands that sort of, you know, the first band that stuck out to me after you mentioned your band was Chris, uh, Chris Dick, who's been on a lot of our, uh, episodes, you know, he sent me, I it was like three months ago, four months ago, sent me like a text and he was like, dude, Queensryche's back, you know, cause <laughs> Mark, Mark's never been the biggest Queensryche fan, but, but, um, but Chris and I kind of nerd out about some of the old Queensryche stuff. I like the yeah, first two are pretty interesting. You know, but. So, because we're, you know, I think I would say Chris and I tend to lean a little bit more. Um, we have more tolerance, especially Chris for, for prog metal stuff. for verbose things. Yeah. And I, I have minimal tolerance. I can kind of, di- I can dip my foot in a, I probably a little bit more than Mark does. Um, but so Queensryche, I was like, Oh, that's a perfect band to do. And so that's kind of where, where we're at. And, um, you know, Queensryche's a band that they were, um, you know, I saw, I think, Eyes uh, Eyes of a Stranger on Headbangers because they played the shit out of that video, if you yeah. remember. And I don't think I really knew, like, kind of how to contextualize it yet. But when Empire came out, Empire came out when I was 12, 1990. And that was one of the first, like, tapes that I owned that felt, like, deep-ish. Well, yeah, yeah. You know? Like, they were talking about, you know, Silent Lucidity had its own sort of thing. But, like, even the title track, Empire, you know, talking about, like, crime rates and cities. And, like, for a 12-year-old, like, pre-internet, it was it was kind of an interesting kind of thing to consider. So Well, it sounded cool, but they're talking about stuff that wasn't just, like, you know, chicks and yeah. getting laid and getting drunk or, like, sure. cutting off a zombie's head or yes, something. You exactly, know? exactly. I mean, Metallica was doing that, too, but I hadn't really delved completely into Metallica. The Black Album was about to happen for me, I think, a year later. But, yeah, so, like, I've always kind of been fond of Queensryche. I, I like um, everything up through Promised Land. Uh, I, think, I actually think Promised Land's a really great hard rock record. It's probably mm-hmm. not a good metal record, so I think people think of it that way. It's like... I think Queensryche sort of left their metal roots behind. And the, the I didn't realize this record was 1990. Empire, yeah, yeah. Like I said, it's it's old. It covers such shit. Yeah, it's not the pixelated good. logo yeah. thing. <laughs> uh, and then Promised Land, I think it was 94. Okay, if I'm not mistaken. No, this record was fine. I mean, it had so it was like like who didn't like Jet City Woman? Or, yeah, I mean it's fine. Yeah, Another Rainy Night Without You. I mean, those were just like good like whatever songs. And, and the biggest thing that threw me off was why did Jeff Tate cut that spit curl? <laughs> this hair that curl was pretty badass it's really prominent and spin around a lot with this big long ponytail and this fucking elvis pompadour and shit if you get like... a chance to look at uh, i have it upstairs the back cover of rage for order has like the best spit curl so while i'm talking look that up <laughs> see if you can you can find it. i'll see if i can find back cover of rage for order but um so it you know Queensryche has been something that I've kind of dug, but then something kind of just changed um, for me after. Oof. Can you see it? Jesus. Oh, it's it's real. It's the real deal. I don't know if Jeff Tate has been like hiding his baldness for years, <laughs> if that's like partially a wig or not. Yeah, but I don't know. I, now I got to look at it. It's uh, he, They look like they're fucking wheeled warriors, guys. Yeah. Whew, man. <laughs> 
it's rough. He's got he he's even got like the almost a Eddie Eddie Munster kind of. Yeah, I don't too. I don't understand. Yeah, the there's a lot of weirdness there. there. But you know, it's West Coast hard rock. Yeah, yeah, Seattle man, they do things differently in Seattle. <laughs> they sure do. You know, Hart and Jimi Hendrix and Nirvana. There you go, and the Melvins. Yeah, but um, Metal Church also. Yes, a, who sounded odd, like nobody else? Odd kind of thing. But uh, yeah, so I thought you know. All of a sudden, the verdict, uh, which came out in 2019, and it has uh, this guy Todd. Todd, I uh, should have wrote his name down. Todd Lahair, something like that. And he's the new vocalist. I'm looking it up as we talk. He's the he's been the new vocalist for Crimson Glory. Um, Todd Latore. Todd Latore. There it is. Ever since um, the original vocalist passed away at midnight, I think they met him on a tribute show that they were doing at a prog metal festival. And, it was in the 2000s, I think, right? Like yeah, I think 2010, so, 2010, yeah. 2009, something like that. And so he had joined Queensryche, and I'll be, I'll plead complete ignorance. Um, I did not, as we do with the Patreon shows, we kind of just wing it a little bit. I didn't really give uh, Condition Human, which came out in 2015, uh, much of a listen, but that was the first record that he was on. But I believe Jeff Tate left. I can't even remember when he left. I'll look up. Um, well, he came back for a little while. Didn't he? And then yeah. they had all those uh, issues with, you know, who owns the rights to the band and all that kind of shit. So Chris DeGarmo was the original guitar player, and he was with them till 97. Then he left, came back in 2003, uh, I think, for his last uh, performance. And then he got out of the music industry for the most part, I think. And, and DeGarmo and Michael Wilton were the two... Um, that I think did a lot of primary songwriting. You mm-hmm. know? Um, I, Eddie Jackson is still there. He's the original bass player. Wilton is still there. They're the only two original members that are on the verdict. And then I think Scott Rockenfeld left after this last record. And um, yeah, Tate was there until 2012. And so he left. And like you said, now you've got Jeff Tate's Mind Crime or whatever the hell. Um, like Operation Mindcrime. Operation Mindcrime band that he does. Frequency he, Unknown and uh, Operation Yeah, Mindcrime. and I don't think that stuff's very good. I'll, I'll, again, Queensryche, and, and this is why we're doing this, Like, and, and it's the same with the band that you're about to talk about in a little bit, they just sort of fell off my radar screen. Like, I, Some of the stuff might have been okay, but certainly no one in my circles was saying great <laughs> things about it. You know? Yeah. Um, and, you know, based on some of the... the you know, reviews and the percentages on some of those records. I don't think I was alone. I think a lot of people uh, probably left. Some people probably left after Empire. But like I said, I think Promised Land came out and, you know, it's got 82% on, uh, you know, I I think it's a great record. And they were still playing their videos on MTV. Mm -hmm. So I think they were kind of in the zeitgeist. Uh, Here in the Now Frontier came out in 97. And for me, it's... The gap between 94 and 97 is the equivalent of the gap between you, 91 and 94. Just in how much your music interests change in three years, right? And so by 97, like, you know, I was fully entrenched in in black metal and anathema and catatonia. And, you know, I just, Queensryche was, I I still listen to Minecraft. Yeah, I still put that record on. Mm -hmm. I can distinctly remember, like, car rides, like, with uh, the girl I dated in college, Jessica, where I was just listening to, like, Lots of Queens, right? You know, and you know, then you have Q2K. Holy shit! I mean, I've never heard exactly. That at all. It's like Y2K. I mean, they were just doing dumb stuff, you know. And I'm sure they had some good songs in there because, again, those guys are talented. So somewhere there had to be something. 
But then they tried to do Operation Mindcrime Part 2. In 2006. Yeah, it just, you know, again, I don't know anything about those records. But also, this is the era, the 2000s, I guess is kind of when, there's that, like, a good 10-year stretch where bands that started this kind of music or bands that, like, had been associated with a certain, you know, type of the genre, like, it wasn't universally kind of, like, loved like stuff is now. Like, people don't care if Judas Priest make a record that sounds like a bunch of other pieces of Judas Priest put together. They just want to hear what they what they have. Yeah. Yeah, what they've, like, cultivated and what they are. And I don't know if Operation Minecraft or uh, if Queensryche really... It seemed like they fought against things too much to try to be relevant and not just like kind of go with like we're this weird techie power metal ish like whatever the fuck we are I mean, band. Maiden's done. Maiden is kind of just sort of they they have done in the two thousands. I think what a lot of bands should have done. Exactly what they wanted. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, not try to placate to like trends or anything like that. And I don't know if Queensrÿche was or wasn't. Um, maybe Queensrÿche just sort of like became dated you know, in a certain sense, whatever. And sure. people moved on from that. I know Jeff Tate, one of the, the knocks about him, um, is he's, uh, yeah. hard to deal with. Yeah. I think there's that. I think he's an ego kind of guy. I think he kind of feigns the metal tag. I think he never wanted to be associated with metal. I think he thinks he's above some of that. And, well, and those guys it. were so fucking big too. Yeah. That they, you got to imagine like Maiden's always been pretty big. But these guys they never got Empire. These guys for a minute were like, holy sh every fucking time you turn on the TV, was, they're on. Empire had five singles. Yeah. You know, Jet City Woman, Best That's the I most can, popular like, I mean, you can ever get in that type of music was, is where yeah. they were. Yeah, they were So you gotta think that, okay, well, we can't beat this record, so we gotta do something a little different. Yep. And then it just starts, you know, they're pulling at straws as they kind of go down the shitter. Well, you kind of see it too with like, you know, when you create like a concept record that gets the type of attention that mind crime got you know you almost see like look at the aftermath and i know you're not probably as big of a, a pink floyd historian as, as i am but really after the wall there's not a lot of big pink floyd records in terms of like you know momentary lapse of reason was supposed to be a david gilmore solo record yeah kind of the same thing that happened with like tony iomi with sabbath and, you know, Learning to Fly was big. That was on MTV a lot, but that wasn't like, it didn't have that feel. Um, Division Bell had a couple songs that were on the radio. It's a good record. But, yeah. like, The Wall, like, it was, like, almost impossible for them. Once you start making these concept records, it's like a game of one-upsmanship. Well, what's the next, like, big story? Yeah. It's, you know, it's the problem a lot of, like, great, really creative TV shows run into. Like, if you hit the, you know... Like, you look at, like, Dexter. Dexter had a couple really creative seasons early on, and then they didn't know what the fuck to do after that, and it just turned into pure shit. Sister you know? fucker, yeah. Yeah, you know, exactly. Literally, like, a I shit just God, ended with I Hate God song. song. And, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So, like, Jesus Christ. But, but it's like, Queensryche, I think, fell into some of that. I think they peaked with Empire and Promised Land. I think they were writing really good songs. I think they weren't trying to do concept records. And then... I think it's exactly the same back. with Metallica, with Black Album. You yeah. hit that... What do, you do next? what do you do next? Something different. Yeah. Because we can't, you can't, you can't surpass that. Sure. That's like a, a you know, a, a cornerstone of, you know, hard rock and metal. Like that's okay. The line's been drawn right there. Now you have to either go sideways or down. Sure. <laughs> from I don't there. know, like people compare Queensryche sometimes to like dream theater and that dream theater does like a lot of the same stuff over and over and over again. 
Dream Theater never got that big. They had one no. big hit. Yeah, they they had, you know, images They've kind of always kind of had their own like very like hardcore fan base and I think the only thing that's you you know, similar between them is they both kind of like play in the prog rock, prog metal sandbox. Yeah. But I think they're doing it in completely different ways. For sure. Yeah. Queen's doesn't show off as much. They're they're more about songs and about like it's weird that I think I like Dream like Theater that. better. Do you really? Which is weird. Yeah. Is as weird. far as like a progressive band's concerned, for sure. I think Queensrÿche is. I think of them more like uh, as a drum. As a great hard rock band that yeah. I just sort of like. You know, for their. But like Portnoy was an inter- he was interesting just to listen to him. What yeah. he did, yeah. you know, he brought to it. And I yeah, I don't think anybody. I'm like, not a fan of this band at all, but I have a respect. I, I they did. Uh, I did do a bestable illustration for the last record, whatever the hell that was. But I watched some interviews just to kind of get in their mind space and shut or headspace yeah. and uh petrucci seems like a really fucking nice guy <laughs> yeah I think he's, he's just like really into yeah. like what he's doing and uh it's just that's not my, my it's not my scene but yeah there's some interesting stuff sure but i just i don't and i think they've always really been really more it. comfortable with the metal tag like i said I they think are Queen's yeah like more in like a after you get past like you know the the queen's reich ep and the the warning and and stuff you're you're kind of like a harder hard rock band, you know. Yeah. That's kind of what they were doing. I don't think they ever wanted to frame them. New album ish, you yeah. know, had some yeah. little bits of that in there. They but... had some priestisms and stuff, but they didn't go. They, it's not like when Painkiller came out, they didn't double down on like the Painkiller priest yeah. sound, you know. Or whatever. Yeah. They're taking some of the early priest kind of influence. A lot of early Maiden. You hear a lot mm-hmm. of twin melodies and stuff. Um, Lots know. of Halford vocal stuff. Yeah, the warning yeah. for sure. And uh, yeah, so. But yeah, so the verdict, you know, like I said, two original members, that's all you got left. Um, you've got, you know, this guy, he's also playing drums uh, because, like I said, Scott Rockenfeld left. And I find that to be kind of, you know, sort of charming that Todd Latore is also a drummer, you know. Yeah. Uh, we don't know. Also a guitar player. Doing it live. Yeah. So he's <laughs> multi-purpose. Uh, the other guitar player, Parker Lundgren, I don't know how long he's been there, but he's the guy that placed, uh, replaced... I think they had another guy after DeGarmo left, and he replaced him. So, yeah, he showed up in 2013 in Queensryche. So, yeah, so uh, the verdict, like I said, not the whole record's not, like, mind-blowing, but there's some songs that, like, actually have some, some intention, some purpose, uh, and that's all I'm looking for sometimes out of, like, those older bands. It was like yeah. the, the New Judas Priest. It felt like they were focused a little bit more. It had some intention. Um it was fun. Yeah, it was just a good, fun record. And when I hear the two songs I picked out, Dark Reverie and Inner Unrest, um, they're they're just like, they've got some good vocal hooks. They've got some decent rips. They've got just some things kind of happening for them. So, um, so yeah, so that's what one of my picks was, was, was sort of Queensryche. And uh, I don't know, what's, what are your thoughts on, like, you said you like the early stuff. What is it about the early stuff that kind of sticks with you? The Maiden Priest kind of stuff? Yeah, it's faster. Definitely. It's not as ponderous. Yeah, because um, you've always had, I feel like you've always had maybe issues with, with Jeff Tate vocally. I have, but he was more of like a screecher. Uh-huh. I was more into that instead of his weird, like warbling kind of thing that he can do that is, you know, is a complete, I mean, it's like one of his trademark sure. kind of things, but it's always kind of turned me off. So Especially when, his his personality is what really turns is me off. Is that what it is? Okay. Yeah, so that like reinforces how much I dislike the band. Kind of like ego. He seems like a cock. Yeah. yeah. So I guess like for for you because I'm, tr- I'm always trying to understand kind of where you're you're coming at. Are there vocalists similar to Tate that like like if you're doing the litmus test and you got like King Diamond and Halford and some of those guys like where what is, you know 
is it just personality or is it certain? It's all, it's also his delivery. And yeah, okay. like I don't, I, I'm not, I don't like all of his choices as much. Got it. There's just, there's a lot of like stuff that doesn't seem like it doesn't fit. Got it. It seems like he's trying Showy, to. Showy maybe sometimes. Yeah. It's just like, it, he's like, it sounds like he's playing in a different band sometimes. I gotcha. I can hear that. To me. So it's, yeah. that's, that's kind of my, my issue yeah. with him. Huh. And that fucking pompadour. <laughs> he owns it. He owns it. So we're going to start with uh, kind of an oldie but a goodie from The Warning. Uh, it's a song called In Force. And The Warning's a cool record. Uh, it'd be a fun one to talk about sometime. But it's a 1984 concept. You know, it's the same year, 1984. You know, so it's it's playing with some of those kind of concepts, loose and fast and stuff. And then we've got a, Yeah. Then we've got a pair of uh, tunes from The Verdict, uh, Dark Reveries and inner unrest and then we'll uh we'll close with something kind of interesting uh that will start off a conversation from mark so enjoy
Heard Snake Hole from Pyogenesis, Twin L Blood from 1995, and then we uh, had Inner Unrest and Dark Reverie from The Verdict from Queensrÿche, and started everything off with Enforce, Enforcer from The Warning. Uh, whoa, Snake Hole. We've already we've already talked about Pyogenesis. What the hell are we doing here, Mark? We have. Well, this is a band I never thought I would ever listen to again. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, as far as like, because they did, uh, I forget what the names were. There was two records that they did after Mono. Yeah, Mono's the last thing I ever heard from them. And you could kind of see from that record, you could see kind of what, what their trajectory was as far as being almost like a alkaline trio sing-along, a pop-punk, kind of like weird, just not like, my... There's some like metalcore, clean vocal kind of stuff, especially what yeah, you hear. Yeah, like real like emo-y sounding vocals, yeah. like real urgent... Emotive, yeah. ...shit. And uh, so I was just... Uh, We've got Spotify at home, so I was just like, fuck it. I was listening to Ignis Creatio yeah. on Spotify, 
the their first record that's complete you know fucking funeral doomy you know yeah, yeah. fucking oppressive shit it's like oh they got another record out that came out 2017 2017 yeah. or something and i follow um flo schwartz on instagram and he did a piece for the celtic frost book so i'm aware of what he's doing but they still like dress up in skinny ties and you know i didn't have any real expectation i was just bored my wife was out of town or something yeah you know drinking beers and listening to this and the first track that there's like an intro and then it just kicks right in with fucking death metal vocals i was like what the fuck it was just bizarre when did did they go back Uh, yeah yeah (laughs) because they've always had a really kind of eclectic you know, people either love them or hate them. Mm-hmm. And it was weird that they spent, you know, the last however many years doing that very kind of specific pop punky thing. Yeah. And then integrated like blast beats and, you know, tremolo guitars and screaming back into it. It's, it's, and it seems schizophrenic when you listen to the songs too. Yeah, yeah. I'm not saying they're great, but it was interesting and surprising that they're doing that. They're at least swinging for the fences with something. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like they're trying something kind of different here. And I was surprised too. Um, this was the impetus for the whole show as I was at Mark's, I think maybe going to a concert or maybe when we went to see Two Mold and Superstition and uh, we were hanging yeah. out and you were like, hey, I got a cool idea for a show. And he's like, did you know Pyogenesis like, is like doing cool shit again? And maybe we could do something with that. And I was like, oh, yeah, that could be something. Yeah. A theme. And then I kind of just ran with it a little bit. But uh, if I'm not mistaken, you're in the same boat as I am with Queensryche in that you have not gone back and listened to those albums in between mono, correct? So you still no. don't know really what that stuff was. I mean, like. I I, I kind of cycled through and listened to it, and it's oh, kind of it was kind of what okay, I so expected. You, okay, got it, got it. Because um, they really hadn't done any death vocals since Twenty Blood. Yeah, because there's none on Unpop, right? No. Yeah, and that, and a lot of that was from um, oh fuck, I can't even think of what his name is right now. Uh, Tim Ellerman was the other. He was yeah, the Tim like real vocalist guy. Yeah. Um, but he he left the band at a, after mono, I think. Okay. Or maybe even on mono, I'm not sure. Um, so this is just all Flo Schwartz and new guys doing this, you know, new in- incarnation of the band. So he never really did death vocals at all. It was always Tim doing that shit. Yeah. Um, he'd like do some of the shrieky like uh, Mitch Harris sounding, you know, napalm shit every once in a while. But sure. Now for people that let me look and see if he's on mono or not. Uh, yeah, Tim and Flo are both on mono. Okay. Uh, I'll check the album after that. The, you know, she makes me wish I had a gun is the other one. <laughs> she makes me wish I had, yeah, that's 2002. Yeah. So and that was it for until 17. Yeah, no Tim on that. Yeah. So that's, then that becomes all Flo's band. Um, do they still, who was the guy that had a hook that played bass for them? Oh, uh, fuck, I don't remember what his name was. When did he, cause he's in that Bloodline band, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the whole reason I got that CD. Yeah, <laughs> but that just goes back to more like just straight doom. Okay. Which the whole band—it's just a was weird that Joe Joe Prol. I think so. Azazel Prol. Yeah, he was on Sweet X-ray at Nothing's. It looks like I don't know if he was. He was on Twenty Old Blood too. Was he? Oh yeah, I clicked on the wrong one. Yeah. On uh, Roman. Roman is the hook guy. Oh, that's the hook guy. Yeah. So he was only on Twenty Old Blood then. Yes. Okay. Got yeah. it. That makes sense. Now, for people, <laughs> we just heard Snake Hole. <laughs> uh, great song, Twin L Blood. Um, I mean, I know Radical Research did a whole episode just on Twin L Blood trying to like unpack what's going on. I still that, haven't listened to that, show. but I'm, I'm 
I need to. It's it's pretty entertaining, and uh, they made a claim on it, and a few of our fans, you know, emailed. I think Jeff or Hunter again, and we're like teasing him a little bit. They're like, I think we're the only ones that will ever do a show on Pyogenesis Twin L Blood. Well, like, me and Jeff Wagner worked at Relapse at the same time. Yeah, so and we were two of the only people that liked that, that record. Yeah. yeah, so pretty funny. <laughs> but I mean, what is it about this sort of meshing of things, these genre mashes that tw- you know it goes back to Twin L Blood, really um, a little bit on Sweet X Ray, nothing. <clears throat> But what is it that works for you that that has always drawn you to a band like like Pyogenesis for people that maybe are it doesn't this band? it doesn't seem contrived which is because it's that weird German thing okay like uh, Germans have a sense of um, in general seems like they have a really like earnestness uh-huh. there's like the the humor is not there's not like joke bands really yeah it seems yeah. like like Halloween's got like some you know sure so a sense of humor and even Black but, Guardian doing like Barbara Ann, but they like still that. love what they're doing. There's no, it doesn't seem they're like there's, there's any pretense yeah. to the whole thing. So See, when, and, and especially like at that point in time, I was really into bands doing whatever the fuck they want to do. Like you know, My Dying Bride doing 34 percent complete and Priest or uh, uh, Paradise Lost doing whatever they were doing, Anathema going off doing whatever they were doing. Yeah. So I was like open and game for whatever they were doing. And, and it was just, it was still obnoxious and weird. And yeah, it's that mid 90s thing that we've talked so much about. And, you know, it, it's this like vacuum black hole era of like extreme, it's really all forms of metal. Yeah. Cause like you're kind of in the beginnings of the aftermath of grunge. New metal was starting a little bit from a commercial angle. Hair metal was completely dead. Thrash metal seemed to be pretty dead. Yeah. The glory days of death metal seemed to be pretty dead. You had black metal happening. Like, mm-hmm sporadically you know in yeah. england and norway and, and sweden and stuff but it, it was weird you know melodic death metal was starting to kind of rise to the surface you had the peaceful three that had started so young and were kind of bored and so they started like doing more experimentation stuff you know yeah so really a, a, a very strange era tiamat doing wild honey i think you know i can't think of another genre that has been that all over the map yeah like you know hip-hop can be diverse but they're not that diverse, yeah, you know, no. like, or certain, certain, like, you know, alt country can be diverse, but it never goes yeah, that fucking crazy, still, but it's still in alt country. Yeah. 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 Or even like the indie rock stuff. Like he had a weird band, like, um, uh, no twist. Yeah. Who has like blast beats and heavy guitars and weird shit happening or four carnation does interesting yeah. shit with the guitars, but no, no genre of music has been the schizophrenic and made it back yeah, yeah. <laughs> like they looked into the abyss and did some weird shit and then came back and did what they will so how does a kingdom to disappear hold up like as a whole i know we're playing a couple songs here in a second but it's okay it's pretty good i mean there's a lot of ideas on it um it's a lot of back and forth it's oh it's a little too long got it i think it's the production's weird on it too but who's putting them out now some german label okay so they're, um, they're exclusively just German. They're, I think they're big in Germany. God, yeah. <laughs> Somehow. Like tragically hip in Canada. Yeah. <laughs> just, Someday their, they'll make a documentary about thing. them. Yeah, they've got their thing. Yeah, that would be interesting, a Pyogenesis documentary. But they were, yeah, Pyogenesis was pretty big for a while, and then I, I know Flo works for some, uh, I think he works for a, a music publishing company or something in That's Germany. Huh. Yeah, well, let's get into it. This is, uh, the, I, I, this first, I, first time I heard this stuff was today, so it was kind of fun <laughs> for me. But uh, we've got... Uh, Every man for himself, dot, 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 and God against all. Uh, so I wonder if that's like a convergence of two songs that they're putting together with the dot, dot, dot. It almost sounds that way. 
Weird. Every man Maybe. for himself. They're also German, so it's yeah. German. English as a second language. That's true. That's true. <laughs> Although when I'm from Germany, they often speak like more proper English than we do. So, but they have always have interesting turns of phrase, like scorpions do. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then we got uh, Blaze, my Northern Flame, which is a, that's a cool like uh, hipster black metal kind of, <laughs> kind of title. Almost. It's a dark, yeah, so. dark throne cover band by yeah. indie rockers. Yeah. So we got a pair of Podgenesis songs to sort of get into, and then we'll come out with uh, the next band I'm going to talk about, and one that's uh, probably amongst the more controversial that we've we've talked about. So enjoy.
That was Machine Head with Aesthetics of Hate from The Blackening, and we heard Pyogenesis, Blaze, My Northern Flame, Every Man for Himself, and God Against All from A Kingdom to Disappear from 2017. And so now we jump into one of the more eh, controversial-ish bands. Yeah. A good band to talk about on a patron show, kind of like Metallica, where there's a lot of differing opinions probably on different things going on. Um. So I'll give you my take on Machine Head, where I kind of came in with them, and I'm sure you know you and Chris kind of like Fear Factory and some of those other bands from like '93, '94, just probably a different feel. But uh, you know, their first record, "Burn My Eyes," uh, Colin Richardson produced it uh, from Carcass fame. Um, what year was the first record? '94. Burn My Eyes. Okay. Yeah, um, kind of a, really a masterpiece of groove metal, if that's what you want to call it. Um, you know it. it falls in line with like Last Exorcisto or Vulgar Display or um Fear Factory. It's got it's got a lot of those elements. It's heavy. It's it's not a light kind of record. Um it was big, I guess. Is it there was, rapping on it? No. There's no, no rapping on no. it? No. None of that shows up until their third record, which is where everyone I know got off of Machine Head. But okay. I think that's, you know, the Burning Season, I think it's called. Or, uh, the red, something Red, Burning red. I can't remember. I could look it up. But um, their first two records, Burn My Eyes and The More Things Change. More Things Change mm, had a couple good songs, but even then I could tell, like, More Things Change came out in 97. And like I said, a lot changed between, for me, between 94 and 97. Sure. But I was still, like, I still bought it. So that shows that, like, Machine Head had enough lasting power that I was still buying their new stuff in 97. And that's by the time I was going to Metal Fest with you guys 
But you've always had a pretty diverse taste <clears throat> as well. But I left a lot of that stuff from the early 90s behind pretty quickly. But yeah. I, uh, Burn My Eyes left enough of an impression on me that I was willing to like give their second record a shot. Sure. And I was like, it was it was fine. Um, yeah, Burning Red in 99. That's where that's where the wheels kind of come off <laughs> in a lot of ways. I mean, the more things change, had some kind of like throwaway stuff that I didn't really give a shit about. But... Um, you know, Burn My Eyes is even pretty controversial because I think people your age didn't care about it. No, or, but it was... They cared about it, but they were like, eh, it's not for me. It was, it was pretty big. I remember at the time, it had, there's ads all over the place that for cover it. was huge. I mean, I think Roadrunner <clears throat> put a lot of bank on that record. Yeah, and that was definitely one of those... I guess they're one of those bands that aren't really talked about in the whole new metal story. No, because Very I don't much, know, but I, don't I think they, they had fall. something to do with it. I think... I think they have as much to do with new metal as Pantera did and White Zombie. So either very little or a lot, depending on how you like assess that. Because I think groove metal is something different than new metal. And I think you can associate the two sure. because I think the fans cross over. Yeah. You know It was something that had more potential to be mainstream success. Yeah. And I think there was a vacuum of commercial metal in the mid nineties. Yeah, oh, for sure. Metal disappeared. Um, metal was not a good word to use. Yeah, back then. it wasn't. You know, and at least I, you know, these guys kind of embraced it. Um, and, and I think another big thing for Burn My Eyes is Slayer took them out on tour. Okay. And it was the Divine Intervention tour, and you know that's when Slayer was. You know, still it still is, but Slayer, especially as like a freshman, sophomore in high school, was very near and dear to me, and so their opinion of things mattered quite a bit. Yeah. And I remember in like uh, Metal Maniac seeing pictures of Machine Head. And again, I was a very impressionable person. And this is actually interesting because this will lead us to a conversation that we'll have uh, in the next set, I believe. Um, I remember seeing like Rob Flynn and he was wearing like a Reservoir Dogs shirt or whatever. Mm -hmm. and I was like, oh, that's cool. Because like at the time we were like obsessed with Pulp Fiction and Reservoir Dogs in 94 because that's when Pulp Fiction came out. You know, we were like the kids in high school that were the only ones in our class that were like renting those movies, you know, or whatever. Like probably like you and Chris, like you were, you were kind of sophisticated for your little small fucking pond. Like you were, yeah, you were kind of. I mean, in, that's that's kind of what you know the small town we grew up in is like. Exactly. Was, if you if you, you have your little like enclave or yeah. something like that, then you you. It wasn't a superiority thing or an ego thing, but I just know like. I felt like, oh, okay, here's a band that's sort of made for me. They they seem to like have some Slayer things going on. They seem to have some aspects of like the things I liked about Pantera. Mm -hmm. Here, the lead singer is wearing like a Reservoir Dog shirt. It was kind of like when I saw the promo clips for Wolverine Blues, and uh, one of the guys was wearing a Dinosaur Junior hat, and I was like, Oh, Ufe's wearing that. Oh, okay, because I was into Dinosaur Junior, <clears throat> but Dinosaur Junior was over here. Metal was over here. I didn't think they intersected. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't know everybody was like me. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I just thought, like, death metal people were death metal people and these people. And so... Well, high school, you, you have your camps. There's yeah, not a whole lot of, like, crossover. So when you start to see, like... Like, I got really pumped. Just this will date us uh, in terms of when we're recording this. But, like, the fact that there's this Rolling Stone article going on about Tom G right now. Yeah. Like, that's awesome. That's, like, a... that's. 1994 me when i had a rolling stone subscription would have been like blown away yeah you know you know what i mean like like I, those worlds didn't really mix and so like when i saw like bands embracing something cool 
that was from somewhere else, like that was really important to me. So yeah, I just remember that because I think I had my walls in high school were covered with shit, like cutouts of Metal Maniacs, and I had that Machine Head thing with him wearing the Reservoir Dog shirt, and I was like, oh, Do you have cool. braids in that picture too? No, I don't think he had okay. braids yet. Yeah, I think I think he was just he just looked like a tough metal dude at that point, you know. And I didn't know anything about violence, um, which is where he he had come from prior, and where eventually. Uh, the guitar player we just heard on the blackening, Phil Demel, uh, also came from. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, anyways, Machine Head kind of like, I think very controversial. I think Queensryche fell off, but I think that Machine Head's fall from grace was similar to Celtic Frost. It was, the burning red came out and it was very cold lakeish for people that had like been more into the harder edge stuff that Machine Head was doing. Yeah. And to see them like, do whatever the fuck the burning red was. And I, I can tell you this, I've probably heard one song from it to this day. It's just something I, I don't need to hear. Like, I just know I don't like it, you know? And, you know, they had other records, you know, Supercharger was another just hunk of shit. Uh, Through the Ashes of Empires, I didn't really get into that at all. I just... How big of, is their discography? I didn't realize there's that many records. Well, those are the records. Those, you know, Burning, Burning, Burning Red's 99... Supercharger's 2001, and Through the Ashes is 2003. So right in the midst of... But they're like defunct for a while? All the new metal stuff. These guys never went defunct. They were kind of like Queensryche. They were just releasing albums that people in like our world didn't care about. Okay. Like they were releasing albums at the same time. Were they still on Roadrunner? And Limp Biscuit and all that shit. I believe so. I don't know if I can... Because I'm wondering how much like... How much more mainstream success they got than we really understood. I think they were big. You know, I mean, people knew about them. Um, you know, certainly the people that were coming in New Moon and buying like Seven Dust records and Soulfly records. So I think yeah. Machine Head was or on the nine heavier millimeter end records. of new metal. They yeah. weren't like on the Limp Biscuit stained end. They were on the the Soulfly, Seven Dust, Sepultura. You know, yeah, which is fine. Like, I, I'm, you know, I I just saw Corn. Not by not by fault. Uh, we went to go see Alice in Chains, and they were co-headlining with. At least they were corn. Corn went last, right? Yeah. Although I would have, man, Alice in Chains was just getting started, and then they were done. It's like just get. Would they of play corn. like forty minutes? Forty five no, minutes? No, they played probably an hour and a half or whatever. But okay. Like their discography is so impressive enough that they could just keep rolling because they're one of the again talking about bands whose new shit actually holds up. Their new stuff is actually really good well the the thing is they had such a fucking scar on them with you know lane, lane dying dying the way he died yeah and then who could possibly but then oh this guy and he's better and he's, he's really good <laughs> i, I want to say he's better he's good i prefer his voice better personally do you really i do i think he's got a better voice that's i think that's they harmonize time. better because lane just he was he was so nasally yeah it Lane is, was more like personality something. and something else weird to it. I think but. Lane brought something different too, like stage presence wise. It was a little unique. He was a bizarre dude. Yeah, the new guy is like good. But he's just kind of he just yeah he does his thing. Yeah, he's not like but he's also not, he's not Bruce Dickinson. Also, he's like <laughs> a you know you know fifty year old guys up there doing yeah, shit. So yeah, it's for sure for sure like he's a pro. Yes, yes. But I think when, going back to Corn, what, what I noticed is we were there for Alice in Chains and. Um, the two guys I was with, I teach with, they wanted to stick around for Corn just to see a couple songs. And I, last time I saw Corn was in 1996 at Lollapalooza with Tool, you know, and other bands. And that was a decent Lollapalooza. I, I liked Corn in 1996. Uh, I didn't love them. I loved Corn in 1994. 
when they no one knew about corn and there was no such concept of new metal and there wasn't like Adidas fucking yeah you know, just yeah they were just a heavy band that were on Roadrunner. Was right? that the follow the leader record or was that no after? that was ninety eight that's that's our okay. third record that's I was the Todd McFarlane cover okay. this is like Blind uh, that was the big song I don't know and Shoots and Ladders which they played Shoots and Ladders we stayed till Shoots and Ladders which is the nursery rhyme song that they did oh, um everybody had a nursery rhyme song it, it was and it, <laughs> what they did and and for like when you're in the midst of seeing corn and you don't care about corn and then they melody shoots and ladders into metallica one <laughs> not bad wow like i'll, I'll take corn doing metallica covers so i don't have to hear corn songs mm-hmm. If yeah, that makes fair. sense. Yeah. So it worked. It worked for a moment, and I just said, cool, let's go. The new, got out of there. Their drummer they have now is actually really good. Yeah. They, they, How's Fieldly? Is he uh, feel like know, selling is it? He, is he back in the band? I thought so, the bass player? Yeah, he might be back. Funny. I mean, he left for a while when he became like a born again, I think. No, that was the other guy. That was Monkey. Oh, that was Monkey. I, I used to keep up on all this stuff. Damn it. Reading uh, Facebook posts okay. from Blabbermouth. Oh, That's how I know all this God. stuff. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Fieldy had a cool looking bass. It was the strings were like different colors. Cool. Yeah, it, lit, it was lit up. Awesome. Yeah. Oh yeah, it was oh a little God. neon thing going. Um, it just it weirds me out that guys that are like in their late forties, early fifties still play shit like this, and it should be embarrassing. I felt embarrassed for them a little bit. I felt embarrassed. Like I was doing like obnoxious dancing on the hill <laughs> pine up on purpose to mock corn fans, and I don't think people knew I was mocking. No. I was like, oh, the joke is lost upon these people. Yes. Um, I did see some disinterested people, so there's hope. I think there were some people that were there for Allison Chains. You know, was there a lot of kids, like young people? Do they uh, still like corn? No, I don't know. I kind of ish, but there was a lot of more like people our age that definitely were into new metal in college and yeah. like, yeah, and they're just reliving that glory. But it didn't, it's weird because I don't. There's no other band that I really like that I'm embarrassed by. No. There's not like a phase of music I listen to where it's like, wow, that is shit. Well, I think like new metal and emo especially are geared towards the mentality and emotional state of like a 14 to like 23 year old. Yeah. Male. Angsty male. Yeah. And I think that works if you're in that age group and it's it's a certain moment in time uh, that, that works. And I just don't know. I, I will say this. Korn played, they, they opened with two old songs from their first record, which is the only record I, I, I don't know. To say give a shit about is a vast overstatement, but like I had memories attached to it. You know, yeah. Like, I, you, I, you have a, a minor bit yeah, of respect saw, for I or something. I saw Korn a couple times. I saw them on their very first tour when nobody gave a shit about them at the Saginaw Civic Center or something like that. Um, and I saw them a lot of But anyways, their new song that they played was actually good-ish um, because it like embraced more like there was like some electronic beats and like cool keyboard stuff. It seemed modern and it didn't seem like yelling about like your parents or child like it it's like, touching okay, your butthole or something band that, and again i don't care i'm not gonna listen to it yeah. um you know but like i was standing there with a friend of mine who still for some fucking reason listens to the radio and still tries to like tell me things about and he doesn't get it that i just don't care but he like is always like oh this is a song that's on you know 89x i'm like okay cool like i don't, I don't fucking care like yeah. doesn't matter yeah um but he was like, oh, this is their new song. It's not bad. And I gave it a chance. I was like, hmm, yeah, it's okay. 
Like, yeah. I don't know. It's like a glass of water. It's like, it's eh, fine. It's okay. It's fine. <laughs> like, I guess it's here know, and yeah, I'm thirsty. Yeah, yeah, so that's, that's, yeah. And then we left, but anyways, that era is a very strange era. And I think it's, um, it was appealing to a lot of people for a lot of different reasons. And it wasn't appealing to us because we were, I think into musicality, we were into non-commerciality, whatever you want to say the European metal scene was, but we were, we were just into stuff that was, you know, off the beaten path a little bit more. And I think also, I think the worst thing that happened to Korn was the fans. I think that a lot of the new metal fans did more damage to some of those bands because I think in a vacuum... It's like those Lamb of God fans. Jesus Christ. Yeah, because I... You know, Lamb of God, I... I can, like... I can pull myself away in the same way you could with, like, Machine Head. And you can go, oh, this is this is really well done. It's really well played. Like, everything they're doing... If this is what I was into, this would be, like, the thing that I'd be into. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I can... It's like Dream Theater. Like, what we were talking about before. Like, if I was, like really into taking guitar lessons like i could theoretically say like i'm into dream theater like yeah. this is like something i could get into and i respect them for that like they're they're good at their craft you know lamagon's very good at their craft um i didn't i don't have any emotional attachment to him because i didn't come I in either. at the i didn't come in in 2003 <laughs> you know the guys we were with from uh into the combine those guys were Let's see, they graduated in 06, so they were it's like... their Pantera. They were like 15. Of course they like that shit. Why wouldn't you? It's perfect. It's, yeah. it's made for them, you know? And those guys are, you know, they're political. They're, you know, Randy Blythe, I think is a... I think he's comparable in certain ways to like a Rob Flynn. I think you either think like his a, vocals... He's a smart guy. Yeah, and yeah, I think Rob Flynn's a really interesting smart shit guy. to say. And... But it's like some of that yelly, kind of screamy, <laughs> kind of groove metal sort of vocals that like Phil Ensemble and others kind of yeah. like... That, that made and i was telling mark before when we were setting this show up i said i think the the, the key thing for people when you, you listen to machine head is you either like their vocals or you don't i think that's that's a big one if you can kind of look past the vocals a little bit and really focus in on the guitars and everything else like pretty good shit going on musically and what we just heard on the blackening which is considered widely their their comeback record um mm-hmm. came out in 2007 you know 13 years after Burn My Eyes. So there was kind of a 13-year gap in quality, and all of a sudden they came out, and it's it's more thrashy than Burn My Eyes was. You know, Burn My Eyes came out in sort of a dead thrash era where, like, yeah. you know, thrash was kind of, you know, I mean, even, like, mega... None of those bands. And Slayer was, like, the closest. Slayer was still doing thrash stuff on Divine Intervention, you know. Um, they had yeah. embraced the yeah. new metal stuff that kind of came in. Uh, but also, at that albums. point... Um... The term thrash, I think, got opened up way too much. Yeah, probably. For my taste, for what I thought the, the genre was. but Sure. Because, I mean, theoretically, Metallica was... Or not Metallica. Uh, Pantera was doing thrashy-ish things. I could see people putting... I think Cowboys from Hell is a thrash record. Yeah. It's I like it's one of the last... Record. Yeah, but I know. think it's thrash record that also has some Judas Priest traditional metal stuff going on. Oh, for sure. You know, Cemetery Gates, I think Phil's still trying to do the stuff he was doing on Power Metal. You know, yeah, where it's like the high pitched kind of Halford type type stuff, and yeah. then he went full gruff, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah, just the the, I guess thrash wasn't even a term when I first started listening to that type yeah. of stuff. So it's all you know after the fact. But then the new wave of American metal, like the 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 more these terms come up, the less they mean. Sure. 
It's like, what does that even mean? And we do that on the <laughs> podcast. We sometimes that seems like a side, but yeah, you're organizing your file cabinet. You got a bunch of papers that all came are from the same year, but mean nothing that are the same. But we're just going to put them in this folder yeah. and call it bands that are groove metal <laughs> or influenced by at the gates that are from New America, American heavy metal. Yeah. Yes. So, but blackening kind of caught me off guard. I remember reading some things about it, um, and I was skeptical because again. 13 years it's you know broken relationship it's hard to yeah hard to have that you know that that faith back and it's not like celtic frost where they just went away celtic frost at least you could kind of be like oh i haven't heard anything from them because you kind of knew what machine head was up to and yeah. what they were up to was not good you know like queens i think was probably just making really boring queens records that like were inoffensive i don't think they were like actively like harming people that love them on mind crime no, you know? they're just trying to make money to pay their yeah. mortgage. <laughs> and, and I think the people that got into Burn My Eyes, who liked the thrashier, heavy, more extreme stuff that was on that record, were like, ugh. Like, it was it was a bad breakup. So when The Blackening came out, I was pretty skeptical. But then I think, uh, maybe YouTube was around then, 2007? I don't know. I don't know. Oh, yeah, it was. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm sure I listened or checked a song out, and I was like, shit, this is really, really good. And uh, it, the album holds up remarkably well um you know phil demel i think is the key guy there he he's kind of the guy that's that's pulling a lot of things together his solos and shit that you heard in aesthetics of hate are fucking like just rip roaring you know youtube um, started in 2005 there yeah i knew it was around <laughs> i just know how much i was using it i probably was using it a little bit it didn't become as i think 2000 ubiquitous until like 2008 2009 maybe yeah that's when like every piece of music you could ever want somebody yeah. to upload on it because like 2007 you still were like in the myspace era you know where like well, you also, were attaching songs to myspace your your yeah. your playlists and, and different things like and that. youtube at that time i remember people putting up full movies in chunks oh yeah so it's like fuck i want to see whatever random thing that just came out it's like oh look on youtube and sure. watch it in 10 different parts yeah <laughs> Before all the like ads started or copyright mm-hmm. infringement, like it was the wild west of. I kind of remember that. The I also remember like, and it wasn't on YouTube, but it was there was Google bought other yeah. weird like. Um, vi- uh, they weren't even video services, but there was like Ebombs World, and they were the ones that did the <clears throat> GI Joe PSAs, like the recorded oh, yeah. stuff. Like yeah. so you had like weird, but that you had to go to Ebombs World to find those. God, you know? I, I, that name sounds so familiar but it's not i don't have like a a memory associated it's, with it's it. the gi it's the psa okay so it, there was probably some other like weird pop culture shit that you clicked on you know yeah whatever. um but yeah so the blackening was was the real deal and so um the thing that's interesting about machine head is this they are a different story than any of the other bands we're, we're kind of talking about because they come out with the blackening in 2007 you're like okay is this like a one-hit wonder and then Unto the Locust comes out in 2011, and it's also pretty good. It's maybe not as thrashy, although the song we're going to play, uh, I Am Hell, from it is pretty fucking thrashy. Um, but there's like a little bit more dynamics. Sonata in C. Sonata in C, C sharp, I believe, right? Is that what the pound sign is? Pound sign is sharp. Okay. Yeah. I never read music. So. Yeah, I, I was in choirs for two years. That's the only reason I think I recognize it. <laughs> and then, then they put out Bloodstone and Diamonds in 2014. And Bloodstone and Diamonds, I was remarking to, to Mark before we recorded, 
that's the the record when it came out that Albert from Decibel wrote like an apology editor's thing. Uh, I think he put Machine Head on the cover or they were one of the, the big features that month. For giving him so much shit for so yeah, long. Yeah, and for kind of recognizing that like he he had to come to terms with the fact that they actually were a really good band and like he had kind of been wrong about them. And I know why I was wrong because he probably heard something from anything from 96 to... 2006 and that shit was terrible you know it wasn't good and it was it was guilt by association in some ways but they did they toured with those bands that sucked and they were doing rapping and other kind of bullshit (laughs) and so bloodstone and diamonds fantastic record as well and then all of a sudden last year they put out a new record and it's fucking terrible again yeah like i don't know what like they're the only band we we've talked about that went on a, like a comeback and then fucking fell off again. And so I remember watching. The, I don't know uh, what to expect from them anymore. The Banger TV YouTube channel review of it. It was just what, fucking he, scathing. <laughs> okay, it was great. Oh god, I didn't even need to listen to no, any of it. I was I just, just like, oh god. I heard people like on the internet and Twitter yeah. talking about it enough that I was like, ah, god damn it. And I I can imagine that sucks. I don't need to hear how bad it sucks. <laughs> yeah. That's like, it's like, I don't need to know what Machine Head Records in 2003 sounded like. I, I have my own idea. Yeah. You know, I might be wrong on a song or two. You guys had a moment it. together. Yeah. Relish that. And... Yeah. So so now it's like, so I have these three records and, and maybe they, maybe the response was negative enough. I, maybe they didn't sell enough records uh, in the Blackening until the Locust and Bloodstone. Maybe, you know, maybe um, critical praise doesn't pay the bills. And so they decided to tap back into the, mon- the honeypot. Uh, I don't know. I think... Rob Flynn is a. I think he's kind of crazy. A procra- or a uh, instigator. Yeah, I think he's. A and little, I think he's a little out of his mind too. I think he's a little crazy too. He likes to start shit with people. Yeah, and he's got that that Bay Area kind of like dickhead vibe. Yeah, in the last couple of interviews I've seen with the guy, yeah, so he seems a little unhinged. And I don't know. <clears throat> I don't know. If Phil Phil Demel's still with the band. Uh, maybe when he left, I think he is. Is he still? I thought so. I looked up the Did earlier. I thought I looked it up, and they were, he was still there. I think they were the only two left because the. Cut-tars. I think the bass player and the drummer both left. Okay. Because uh, personalities. No, Dave McLean's still there. He's the drummer. But okay. Yeah, it looks like a new bass player, but. Okay. Still, who the, eighteen percent review, right now. I mean, come on, what the. Who fuck put are, that out? Nuclear Blast. Okay. I think Nuclear Blast put out. Um, they definitely put out the the Bloodstone and Diamonds record. Um, but before that, they're on social media for a while too, weren't they? Uh, no, I think they were Roadrunner for a long-ass time. The Blackening, I believe, was Roadrunner. Yeah, let me look at uh, Unto the Locust. But um, anyways, as we were about to kind of go into our next set of music, uh, yeah, that's Roadrunner. So yeah, it was Bloodstone was the first Nuclear Blast record. Okay. But the the last song we're going to play for Machine Head, and we'll talk a little bit more about it because it actually will, will open up a conversation about something Mark and I have been into <laughs> lately. <laughs> uh, but uh, Bloodstone and Diamonds has... Pretty cool songs on it, but the song I decided to pick is uh, Night of Long Knives. And Night of Long Knives has uh, some cool stuff that we'll, we'll sort of talk about when we come back. But uh, Hundy's really into uh, Nazi mega weapons and Hitler's secret brain and all uh, yeah, those great... Uh, yeah, yeah. Night of Long Knives is supposed <laughs> to be a reference to... Um, it was in 1934. I'll give you... I'll go into it. Might as well. I'll a little history my, lesson. My history thing. Um so these kind of two cool, uh, not cool. That's the wrong. Okay. <laughs> it's too cool. Uh, yeah, you don't racist, want to use Nazis so. cool. So it's a it's a weird time. We're living in a weird America where people are like debating whether you should 
attack Nazis. Still, well, there you know, there's good people on both sides, Jason. Yeah, that's true. It's it's all equal, of course. <clears throat> but the Night of Long Knives was one of these two kind of nickname moments, I guess. the The other is 1938, uh, Kristallnacht, the Night of Broken Glass. That's when the, the the Jewish businesses and synagogues were attacked. But Night of Long Knives is more of like a Game of Thrones. It's kind of the like a red wedding type yeah. thing. And what you had is Hitler's rise to power in the 1920s and early 30s was accompanied with what he called the brown shirts, which were the inner circle of Nazi membership called the SA. And then as Hitler was sort of kind of starting to become elected and become more political, he started to organize a wing within the military, which were the black shirts. And he called them the SS, the Einstein's group. And they're the ones that are like his fucking attack dog his elite shit. military as but the sa were sort of his i don't want to say his equals but they were his inner circle that he kind of came up with and they were led by the sa was led by his best friend uh ernst rome who was like uh he was gay which again hitler was hitler is a walking contradiction he's a vegetarian that killed people and like yeah you know killed homosexuals best friend was gay yeah, who fucking knows you know, he's like dick cheney he's part he's jewish he yeah, gets jews yeah, exactly. yeah. So he had all that going on. And so with the Night of Long Knives, it was a consolidation. He basically wanted to wipe out his inner circle, anybody that could be a threat. So essentially, the SS rounded up a bunch of the SA, the brown shirts, and like Night of Long Knives killed them. And the famous moment is his best friend, Ernst Rome, is in jail, like being in prison. And, uh, you know, Hitler's like outside the jail cell having his like final words before he does the, the classic TV show, like turn his back, walk out on his friend is like, He's holding the yeah. yeah, and it's the famous thing that Ernst Romer said: "My fear, my fear, like don't you know? Yeah. I thought we had something. Why here. have you and forsaken then, me? Yeah, fucking gone. So, but this song is not about that. That's not. We'll find out. So we've got uh, I am Hell Sonata in C sharp from Unto the Locust, and then Night of Long Knives from Bloodstone and Diamonds, and then uh, two things Mark, you should recognize: Mark's next pick. Yeah, and I think you'll I think you'll know the sound of this band right away, and so then we'll come back and, and chat about all this in a sec. Sangre, 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 sangre,
Game of profit is for you to 
Entombed AD with Elimination and Torment Remains. Torment Remains. Both from Bowels of Earth. Of Earth. Is it of Earth or of the Earth? Of Earth. Okay. Yeah, I wrote of Earth, so I'm just making I mean, sure. Torment Remains is a... They're both weird uses of the English language. Sure. Bowels of Earth. Yeah. I mean, I guess technically they work, but they're not like... They don't roll off the... Yeah. It's but that like was the a, Bowels of Repugnance or something like sure. that. You know, it's... And that's from forthcoming as we record. The it should be out by the end of this month. So probably yes. by the time you guys hear this, it'll be out. But uh, that's Entombed AD, and we'll talk more about them in just a moment. Uh, but I'll, I'll we'll kind of wrap up the, the Machine Head conversation because it's not really about Machine Head. But that song that we, we just heard, Night of the Long Knives, is actually about the Manson murders. And uh, this I, I kind of thought it was an interesting zeitgeist kind of moment as we are celebrating the 50th anniversary of the Manson murders, 1969. This is, you know, the the end of the summer of love and the hippie era with Altamont. The The beginning of the birth of heavy metal. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of kind of crazy stuff sort of happening, but, um, you know, lyrics that say, you won't see us come, you won't see us come in the night with these knives and these bloodstains on our hands, paint the walls, taste the blade of the night of the long knives. 
Um, in the summer of 69, there came a prophet. His words were used to profit off the minds of the weak. He spoke of holes deep within the desert. His followers would convert into the belly of the beast. Don't look into his eyes, burning with malice past. He says uh, they're piling bodies one by one, fulfilling all their dreams to come. The prophecy of war that Charlie Manson had begun in the hills of Hollywood tonight. Um, where was the other one? They talk about Rosemary and the baby of Polanski, six people dead and bloody in the hills of Beverly. You know, just splitting skin, praying and pleading for the lives of babies unborn. It's pretty fucking death metalish, really. It's like an autopsy song, is what I point out to Mark. They're piling the bodies one by one, blah, blah, blah. So anyways, I thought it was kind of a cool thing because one of the things you and I have been into is uh, the new Tarantino flick. Speaking of Reservoir Dogs so, and yeah. Tarantino. What's Upon a Time in Hollywood? Yeah. Um, without It's hard to talk about this without spoiling it, but I think we can it's, do it. I mean, by the time this is up, it's it's been out yeah. for like a month. so yeah. it's, we'll, we'll try to not spoil too much, but I think people know. Also, the plot doesn't really matter that much. The, the, but I think it's a pretty impactful movie if you don't know how it's going to end. I think I think that had an impact on me because my own knowledge of it like worked against me in a cool way where I was like, "Oh shit, I know what they're doing right now." You know, I, where somebody that maybe didn't know that much about it might be confused as to like the exactness of it because yeah. it is exact, but it's not. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. it's it's like the time, the date, like the road, like everything is exact, and then it's it's like I had a feeling fantasy elements. Right I had now. a feeling after Inglorious Bastards, it was did you? It might have a little bit of a different like okay. uh, revision, not revisionist history, but alternate. Like it's, a, it's an alternate universe. It's a it's a fairy tale. It's a fairy tale. It's really a fairy tale about Hollywood. That's yeah. why it says the Once Upon a Time. Dot dot dot. I mean, that's like that's his hint. The end of the the big huge movies happening in in you know the big Bible epics and all that shit, sure. and then. Easy Rider became this thing that, yeah. like, wow, this costs no money and people love it. And who the fuck is, sure, you know, Jack Nicholson and who's Dennis Hopper and yeah. who are these assholes? R.I.P. Peter Fonda. Yeah, he died two days ago. But uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's. I think it's his most personal film. Mm-hmm. I think that's kind of interesting. You know, um, a film about re- like uh, relevance. Yeah, about changing times. Uh, there's lots of you know things you can draw. You know, kind of into the the narrative i think he kind of weaves in and out of some kind of cool like pop culture stuff without being as overt about pop culture that tarantino sometimes can be you know some people yeah i mean there's also dialogue is is more uh i think the older you are the better you understand what they're talking about in the movie to somebody like in their 20s i don't know if any of the references are going to make any sense or if they even understand they're real or the the sort of journey that DiCaprio's character is kind of on in sort of trying to like look at where his life is at and the washed up aspect. I mean, I think there's something about having lived a little bit of life and being a yeah. little bit older that makes you appreciate. But also it's weird as, as somebody younger to see DiCaprio, who's like, you know, my it's 40 something, yeah, 44 yeah. or something as being washed up. But in that time in Hollywood, that was completely the case be, Yeah, that you could be, you know, that's it. Yeah, the Hollywood, the studio system where the yeah. actors were kind of like locked in a little bit and stuff. And you kind of said he's essentially playing kind of Clint Eastwood. Of course, yeah. 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 His, Before he you went know, over raw hide spaghetti, and spaghetti westerns. And rowdy stuff. Gates, and he's just like kind of spinning his wheels. And So is that, but the, the Eastwood stuff happened in the late 50s, not the late 60s. Because, yes. Because yes. he made the spaghetti stuff in the, you know, yeah. the trilogy. But it's like, uh, it's revisionist sure. kind of history ish yeah. stuff. But yeah. 
Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's kind of a Tarantino sort of fantasy. And I really liked, uh, um, Brad Pitt was kind of a cool character and especially in your sympathies towards him are elusive because of, I don't want to say too much, but like but there's certain plot a little points. bit of a black backstory about him yeah. of did it happen? Did it not, you know, intentions and stuff. So he's a, and like the flash, there's like flashbacks within a flashback, but you don't know if it's actually if it's true, it's a very unreliable narrator with some stuff. Is it know? that like that's what he wanted to do? But he, you know, so yeah, there's yeah. that. It, but it ultimately, it doesn't matter. No, because there's a it's redemption in his arc, even if you think he did what he did. And yeah, there's some cool. Because everything you've learned about his character up until the time of that flashback is that this is just a solid guy. He's just like he's a, you know just a reliable, he's just a good dude. Stunt dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah just he's a just dude. a mellow you know mellow guy. And there's these interesting ratchets of tension that I think are, are really good. I think uh, I use the Tarantino sequence from Inglorious Bastards in my film class that I taught. And the I, opening scene. The opening sequence. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. And just kind of talk about like expectations of audiences. And I think, you know, Hitchcock was so smart in, in using perceived expectations of what an audience would expect to happen. That Inglorious Bastards Spielberg scene is too. total Hitchcock. Oh, yeah. 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 You know, you you know that there's a gun in the desk. That's the classic kitchen. Yeah, the audience knows where the gun is. The characters in the scene don't necessarily know. Yeah, or there's a bomb under the table. Bomb under the table. Yeah, Yeah, exactly that sort of thing. So, um, but you know, Margot Robbie, I think, uh, you know, Sharon Tate is uh, an interesting character, as was referenced in those kind of song lyrics and stuff. But I think it it had these characters kind of incidentally sort of like hanging out on the fringes and, and different things. And I think. I think out of respect to her, Tarantino didn't shove a lot of words into her mouth. He didn't turn her into like um, a vehicle for his his kind of pop culture kind of stuff or, or any of that. I think that was really interesting and respectful and it showed a lot of reverence for like... And restraint. The memory. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's respecting this... You know, when they say you die young, that's kind of how you die. Like, you're always remembered as that, you know? Like yeah. The 27 Club with music. Like, they'll never... We never get to see them get, like, fat and, you know, except Jim Morrison. <laughs> Speaking of Jim Morrison, that's who Jonathan from Corn kind of looks like now. He's a little pudgy, and he's got kind yeah. of a beard, and it kind of, like, looks like it, he was wearing, like, a low-cut kind of floofy shirt that, like, you would see Morrison wear in his, like, Lizard King persona. And I was oh. kind of like, uh, I see where he's going with shit, you know. But, yeah, anyways, yeah. But, but I think, like, you know, I think they preserve her in a really interesting way, and... uh it's 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 cool too because it's not a violent film, and then it until it is really, and then it, and then it becomes necessary. Yeah, and, uh, oh, it's just a cool movie, and I I, I want to see it again. I know some people that the people that really really liked it. I know several people have seen it like three or four times already, and that's pretty rare for like a three hour movie that people yeah. want to go back. It's it's fairly divisive as well. I mean, yeah, has anything people really like it, or they think it's like a misogynistic nightmare, which. I, I mean, you could. The thing is, if you have an agenda, and you look at something, you can automatically pin your agenda on that. Like whatever you know matches your ideology, mm-hmm. you're going to see something that makes you upset because of whatever. Sure, and you um, can always do critical analysis through different lenses. You know, whether sure. it's Marxist or feminist or whatever. But I think even through a feminist lens, you can't see this as like a anti-feminist movie. It's a. It's, there's nothing. If you're being uh, honest with yourself, yeah, I don't think you can. Yeah, I mean, if you're looking to be outraged, you can find all kinds of things that make it. Yeah, it's just 
that way. But from if just from a purely filmmaking standpoint, it was so refreshing. And I, I like to see these kind of movies by myself, so I don't have any yeah. like anybody saying, "Hey, what do you think?" Like, I just want to experience it because that's a rare and rarer thing to be able to experience a movie and have it be like a sure something that kind of gets you out of everything. Yeah, you know? I bet. I bet. but just seeing slow pans, like not like things just happening. Yeah. Editing was, you know, slow this thing down, like real stuff. Sure. <laughs> like the I, reality. Uh, that's like, God, I, all I want is fucking reality once in a while in a movie. I just watched um, Tarkovsky. Uh, it was, it, it was kind of like eating vegetables, uh, but Andrei Rubliev. And yeah, I haven't seen that's that. like his, that's his like most famous film. It's the one that he's talked about. It's probably not my favorite. I think I'm a stalker, Solaris kind of guy. But, yeah. Um, it's one he did in the '60s, and it was banned in Russia for a really long time and, and stuff. It was a lot of work, but God, did it, you watch it without fucking with your phone or anything? I did. Yeah, I mean, okay. I paused it a couple times and had to like go like do a lap in my house or make a <laughs> snack or something. But yeah. I, I tried to really, you know, like Just focus lock on in it. on it, and uh, it's it's profound. And, and again, it rewards I think careful viewership. But man, that is not for everyone. That isn't you know that yeah. is a movie you watch alone or you know like like you and I could probably handle it because we could probably pause and talk about some shit. But photography wise. It's beautiful. I mean, it's it's awesome. Tarkovsky's great photography wise. His cinematography yeah. stuff is, is pretty incredible. But it was. I mean, Stalker's slow, and, and Solaris has some slow moments as well. But it's a lot of atmosphere, and this is yeah. You get a feel for what Russia really felt like, like medieval Russia, like really what that like how just the grind of being a peasant, and, yeah, you know, a religious figure and all that sort of stuff. And it, he's a playing an artist an icon uh who did icons for the church and stuff okay his sort of crisis of faith so it's a lot of that shit felt like an ignore uh, like a bergman film too like a okay. long bergman film like yeah. really existentialist <laughs> and stuff like that but but anyways yeah so i i thought you know be a cool time to talk about uh you know night of long knives kind of fit with that so so talk to me about entombed ad this is kind of well they uh this is kind of random just because it's something that i just listen to and i was like oh yeah. that's better than i expected which is always nice and they're and, in decibel this month so that means they are yeah starting to get some some but they did uh i mean every, everybody probably knows there's the the uh split. basically the the split between well, i think the last one that alex hellett was on was serpent saints that yeah. was the last record and then he stopped performing live with them and then lg started because he's i mean he's a like a shark of death metal he can't stop he's got like that's what that's what he does um so he went out and toured and then i think he tried to get the name for himself so he could keep going because they i think alex wanted to end it or something yeah and then there's a little legal snafu and then you just do the uh, ad at the end of it but they did uh dead dawn and back to the front two records in uh what was it in 20 oh why don't you have the number 2014 2016 eh okay yeah i've never really heard a lot of great stuff about Entombed like AD. just lacking of any kind of it was just all kind of like boring stuff that would have been off some of the like less great older entombed records just like eh, whatever yeah and then i heard the the single for torment remains and it just starts out with him coughing and then a fucking like blistering just tremolo going. riff yeah. So it's like dirty, like back to basics. Yeah. Like that's that's what you really need to do. 
And so far, these this, these two songs are like showing. I'm, I probably won't buy the record, but it's just it's it's enjoyable to hear something sure. like that. Seen a bunch of old bald guys, which the drummer and LG are have spectacular, you know, skullets. Skullets. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's it's uh, it's nice to see these guys still doing something. Like it it seems like they've got a little bit of like uh, fresh airs kind of sure blown into their studio. The uh, the drummer used to play live with Candlemass and Misery Loves Company. Which is a band wow. I haven't really thought of since speaking of nineteen ninety four. Uh, they are Red Swedish Runner. though. Yeah. 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 And then uh the guitar player was with do you remember this band? I ha- I think I still have the record called Terra Firmer. Yeah. Yeah, I've got the seven like inch. The dude from Unleashed was in them. The uh Yeah, the guitar player for Unleashed was in it. Okay. Yeah, so that's where And then uh Tobias Christensen plays with Grave too. The oh, bass player okay. live bass player. Huh. Interesting. I've, the last two times I saw Grave, he was playing with them. I don't think I've ever seen Grave. You see him at MDF? No, I saw him in, uh, they played in Detroit off the Endless Procession of Souls tour. Uh, where was it? 2011. Fuck. At, uh, I was doing? Blondies. Oh, yeah, I don't think I, was, I saw Grave. It was like, boom. Just like I when I saw Vader maybe, there. Who else played with him? Maybe I was at that show. I would have. No, it was just me and uh, Shrum were there. Oh, okay, that. yeah. Because I, I went to some shows. We saw Marduk there. We saw Marduk Cata- there twice, Cata- I think. Catatonia there. Yeah. So, Toxic Holocaust, maybe once. No, they were always at uh, Magic Stick. Okay, and they were at that one little place in um, Old Corktown. Oh yeah, uh, that really thin the upstairs place. Yeah, upstairs, yeah, it's, kind of it's thing. fucking nightmare. Yeah, that was that was rough. But I don't think they do shows there anymore. I uh, yeah, I was pretty floored by this because again, like I I love Entomb, but I have not really paid attention outside of that live thing that you we talked about in one of the other Patreon, which shows, is the other the other the other side of it. So. And I didn't realize Nikki was actually record with them. I thought they yeah. were just he just was back to do clandestine. Um, that was apparently a Nikki, uh, Ufe, and Alex are all back, and then it's uh, vocalist Morbus Cron, which is Nikki's uh, half brother. Oh okay, and then the bass player for Morbus Cron. Damn. So that could be cool. Yeah, I'd, I'd be interested in seeing what happens and Who's maybe. The... Who was the original bass player in Entomb? Was it just like Johnny Dordevic at one point? No, it was uh, uh play bass. Lars, what's his face? Oh, Rosenberg. Rosenberg. Yeah, that's right. Was yeah. he? A, he, he. And then um, was Dordevic on Clandestine, or was he supposed to be? playing bass and then somebody else just kind of no he was supposed to be doing vocaling vocals okay he did bass on some i don't even remember what the fuck it was yeah but rosenberg's Um, the guy rosenberg went up until yeah and then um he on wolverine blues rosenberg shit i don't know why yeah he's on wolverine blues and then to ride uh what's his nuts from grave came in oh ola no uh jorgen 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 sandstrom yeah that's right and then he was with them until Shit. It's been a while. Uprising, I thought probably. Of, thought of Entomb. Yeah, he was with them for a while. The, the few times I saw Entomb, he was with them. Yeah. And then the last time I saw Entomb was with you at MDF. Oh, that was bad. Yeah, it was. That just, was with Alex Hellid. It was just him and Alex, LG and Alex, right? Yep. And, and then, the uh, stage. I think this so. drummer. Oh, yeah. Holy okay. Dahlstedt, I think. Yeah. So, pretty interesting. But I'm, I'm pretty excited because, I mean, if there's two... If like having two entombs makes each other like better because they're like having yeah. to up their game. <laughs> that's kind of what it seems like. We so. all we all kind of benefit from that's it. yeah, that's fine. And LG's singing more like more deathy than his weird whatever the fuck is yeah, you know, kinda like belted out 
yeah, stuff was. Yeah, sounded so like I, more I authentic it. kind of LG from back yeah. in the day a little bit. More. But even that, uh, he's got another band, um, Firespawn, that's more of a straight death oh, metal band. Okay. So maybe that lit a fire under his ass, too. I didn't even pay attention. I used to be such a huge fan, but is, is Helicopters even happening anymore for Nikki? No, they they did a couple of reunion shows for like uh, whatever that huge Swedish rock fest is put on by okay. like Hello Magazine or whatever. So Nikki's just doing. He's doing Lucifer. Oh yeah, I forgot. He's Lucifer. And uh, I think he's he did, but that's Imperial not... State Electric. I think is still going. Okay. Yep, yep, Lucifer. But you didn't see them either, did you? When they came through, Mm-mm. they played at Smalls. Are they cool? I've never heard Imperial of State Electric. Yeah, yeah, it's just like. Fucking hard rock. Is it? Okay. Yeah. He's in The Solution as well. With Scott Morgan. Oh, yeah, that's right. Nikki Royal. Yeah. yeah. It's just That's just like a straight up fucking R&B thing. Yeah. That's badass. Good old Nikki. What a renaissance, man. <laughs> Interesting dude. So, no, that's cool. Thanks for bringing that to my attention. Yeah. I, uh, I, like, I mean, I might have read the article in Decibel when I, we just got in the mail today, but I'm just like, it. I don't know if I would have made, exerted a lot of effort to like sure. look into it unless somebody told me like, Hey, this is actually worth the shit. It you popped know? up on YouTube and I was like, Oh, I listened to the video like four times. I was yeah, like, Oh, this is yeah, good. I like this. pretty solid. So, so as we kind of close things out here, we've had uh, some different explorations. Like I said, there's lots of bands that you could kind of, uh, you know, delve into that have followed similar trajectories and stuff, even though like machine head, I said kind of went against the trajectory because they yeah. just, they demon dropped back down into the shit. But uh, a band that's kind of you know near and dear to Mark and I, even though we maybe didn't grow up with them, we kind of have appreciated them the last decade or, or, or so, is a band called Accept. And this was another band alongside Celtic Frost. Um, Machine Head came up quite a bit too in suggestions that people were sending me. But this was a band that kind of, you know, Blood of Nations yeah. was talked a lot about um, because... You know, really accepts big period kind of ends in the 80s, uh, mid 80s. And then they, then Ufe, or not Ufe, Udo leaves in, I think, 88, I think, somewhere around there, 87, 88, and go, he does, does solo uh, stuff. Is it uh, Animal House? Was he on Eat the Heat? Let me see if he's on. I'm not sure, because is, is it 89. fucking Animal House? I don't. No, David Reese is on Eat the Heat, so. Um, so I believe maybe his last thing that he did with them is Russian Roulette. No. Yeah, in 86. Yeah, Udo, Russian Roulette. That's the last full length that he really? did with them. So, you know, he might have toured with them for a little bit while longer. But yeah, he's, uh, by the time you get to eat the heat, done. Now, I've never heard Objection Overruled, but it's supposedly it's an okay record. Um, same with Death Row, they're you know okay, but Predator not not good in '96, and then then they just oh yeah, Russia yeah because because here's the thing with Animal House, that's his first solo record. Okay, it's mostly it's except dudes. It's right? a, no, it's well, it's Udo and Wolf? Well, other dudes. No, Wolf oh. stayed with Except. Okay, because they wanted to go more commercial, and that's why this record's fucking great because it sounds like it's hard sounds, to accept. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's it's good. It's really good. I I picked it up. I found it at a That's the fucking used record place uh fairly cheap. 87. Yeah, Animal House. Okay. Yeah, I featured that on my countdown. I just forgot what it was called. I knew I featured a an Udo song there. And so then except sort of disappears. From 96, they they put out, you know, some live albums. There's a couple EPs mixed in there, compilations, all that. 
And then out of the ashes, you know, 14 years later, all of a sudden, here comes Blood of Nations. And they've got uh, Mark, is it Tormilo? Tornillo? Yeah, he's, yeah, I think he's from New Jersey. Um, and he just fucking just crushed He nails it. it. Yeah. Uh, Wolf sounds like he's, you know, in, in top, tip-top form again. Um, he sounds inspired. And, yeah, Blood of Nations kind of re restarts the the accept stuff and um i have see i have blood of nations i've got stalingrad um i think i have rise of chaos on my computer i don't think i have blind rage i don't know i miss i miss that one but well also this is uh andy sneep yeah and you can just kind of tell but also he helped write the album yep so there's and the same with the new judas priest yeah you can see that stamp of you know he's the fixer yeah yeah but uh yeah, so we just thought this is, you know, we kind of bookend with Celtic Frost and accept these kind of two bands we've, we've done shows on before. We've done one on, um, I think, the the glory years of accept up through Metal Heart, I think is what we, we kind of covered. Yeah. Um, so, and this is uh, the, the song that kicks everything off, Beat the Bastards. It's the opening cut, and it's just driving thrash glory. It's it's good stuff. And so, kind if of. If you good, like that, go check out Teutonic Terror. Yeah, yeah. Is that uh, that's the following up follow up song? Okay, the title that's, they had a video Blood for it. Nations is pretty badass as well. Yeah, so yeah, I thought Beat the Bastards was was kind of more in the the old, that sort of like fast and furious, fast as a shark kind of thing. Yeah, you know, good solos the whole nine yards. But uh, yeah, so I don't know if this episode makes any sense to people, like any of our Patreon shows where we just kind of sidebar on some things. But I think we uh, I tried to we tried to draw a line through a, a thesis statement. You did. Uh, I just I just like to throw out random ideas. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> you like to make sense out of yeah. them. So, um, but yeah. So enjoy. Except uh, beat the bastards for our August uh, Patreon show from Blood and Nations 2010. I'm Jason and I'm Mark. Mm-hmm. 